This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to the Up in the Air edition of Slate Money, your guide to the business and finance news of the week. I'm Felix Salmon of Fusion. I'm joined here in Slate's Brooklyn offices by the regular crew, Kathy O'Neill, the author of Weapons of Math Destruction. Hello. And Jordan Weissman, the slate pitchiest money box columnist <laughs> ever. Hello, y'all. And Jordan <laughs> wrote a piece this week, um, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, which was all about airline travel. So we're going to have a kind of air-themed um, episode this week. We're going to talk about how it turns out to be quite hard for software companies like Google or even Amazon to put physical objects into the air and have them not crash. It's rather a fun story. Um, We are going to talk about Air Force One, which is a slightly antiquated thing which needs to be replaced, but how and whether and how much it'll cost is in the news. But first, Jordan, the one thing we all are obsessing about as the holiday travel season approaches is are we going to get charged to carry on bags as we enter an airplane? Uh, Starting in 2017, I think we might. This holiday season, we might be safe. But so the news is that uh, United has figured out yet another way to slap an irritating fee on its customers. Um, even though that's what they claim that's not what they're doing, it's what they're doing. Um, they have debuted a new uh, fare tier called Economy Basic. Right? Which is basically Ryanair arrives in America. Yeah, well, sort of, because Ryanair is dirt cheap, whereas what Economy Basic is, is your standard fare, basically... Except you don't get to put your bag in the overhead bin. You're, you you're get, not allowed to do that. You, and you and can't get an assigned seat. No no, no assigned seat. You're almost guaranteed a middle seat. Yeah, you're guaranteed. They, they even said, like, you are getting a middle seat, essentially, if you buy this ticket. And you are, and you have to, I mean, you, you get, I think, like, uh, uh, something the size of a small satchel, a backpack that you can put under under the seat in front of you still. You're entitled to that. You are allowed to bring some sort of belongings on the plane. If you do check a bag, you have to pay for it. If You, you do have to pay for it, exactly. And they didn't mention it explicitly. Silly, but you're also not allowed to breathe the entire flight. You yeah, have well, to hold your breath. So, <laughs> because if you breathed out and then try to breathe in again, you'd find that there's not enough space for the, your neighbors. So, I, I wrote a piece about this this week, and it made two points. One is that I think 
um, no matter what your feelings in general about price discrimination are and, you know, kind of unbundling, I think you are allowed to be outraged about this, especially if this spreads to the other major airlines. Um, and number two, I think this is actually tracks perfectly with what Republicans are trying to do to American's healthcare system. And okay. so we're going to discuss this. No, we we're going to discuss both of these. We things. are not going to discuss <laughs> Republican health care. I want to keep this. I want to keep this a little bit on the up in the air, because frankly, if you want to know what the connection is to Republicans and healthcare, go to sleep.com, <laughs> read Jordan's piece, and you can roll your eyes as loudly as you like. I think um, it's a great analogy. Okay, actually. maybe we'll get to the analogy. But okay, let's start with the price discrimination. Um, it's interesting that this is coming from United because I don't know if you guys remember, I feel like I'm the only person who remembers this, but a few years ago, United decided, you know, this was back when JetBlue was uh, popular and um, profitable airline, that they were going to attempt something similar themselves. And they created this airline called TED, which was like the the, the second half of United. They just cut, they just, we're not going to call it uni, we're going to call it TED. And, um, and it lasted about six weeks, I think. Um, but they're back on this idea of like, how do we make money by selling cheaper tickets rather than just buy more expensive tickets. And rather than creating a new airline this time, they've just said, well, there's a whole bunch of really crappy experiences that we can foist onto the people who pay the least amount of money. So let's do that. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I actually, I looked into this and I actually feel like I've missed out on a lot of things that were happening in the airline industry, maybe because I, I had kids and didn't fly that often. But I didn't realize that you can't, nobody feeds you for free anymore. Like, yeah. I didn't even know that. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, I'm that's, an idiot. That's been a while. Yeah. I've, I mean, every now and then I get on an air flight and I'm like, wow, I'm so hungry and I just don't know why. And then, of course, there's the baggage. If you want to check baggage, that's been a fee for a long time. So they're looking for new ways. Even, yeah. even the lounges, even if you go into like the airline lounges on for, for domestic flights, they will make you pay for your drink. Yeah. Which kind of defeats the whole purpose of being in an airline lounge. So, so there's two reasons for this, I think. And the first is that they're just much more efficient with airline flights than they used to be. It used to be that like you probably never had to sit in a middle seat because there was there were so many empty seats. That right? was called something called capacity control. And we got better at that. No, well, yeah, capacity control is is another word for antitrust collusion. Yeah, which is basically <laughs> oh, oh. Um, it's basically all of the airlines colluding with each other to have slightly fewer seats on any given route than there is demand for so that they can fill up all of the flights and make the maximum amount of profit. Yeah. I mean, so the, the massive consolidation in the industry is kind of taken from one extreme to the other, right? Before, you had airlines constantly going bankrupt because they couldn't make money. Now they've consolidated down to just a few carriers. And so they can kind of collude without explicitly colluding, just follow each other's trail and do things like you know, control the number of seats in the air. And also and also keep prices high when um fuel costs when fuel low. when fuel costs were rising, when when oil was very expensive, prices would go up every week. They'd be like, they'd be like, Oh, we have to raise prices because the price of gasoline has gone up or air fuel. And then when the price of air fuel plunged, guess what? The prices stayed high. And the other but the other sort of I think major reason, tell me if you disagree, that this has happened is that everyone buys their own flights on Expedia or what have you. And they just they don't think about anything. They don't care about brand. They don't think about anything except the price they're seeing on the screen. And they minimize I, that. Yes. And that's become a consumer uh that's gonna become a consumer issue because a lot of 
watchdogs are saying, okay, you are essentially hiding the real cost of your flight by advertising these incredibly cheap basic fares. And I, I think that's, yeah, I think that is a big part of it. And this is something which has been endemic to the rental car industry for forever that you, you know, you're saying, oh my God, I can rent that car for $7.99 a day. And then you get in there and you realize with all the extras, it turns out to be $77 a day. Exactly. Like, How did that happen? So there's also, there is an economic rationale for this. And I'm, go- I'm going to explain it quickly and then explain why I think it's bullshit in this case. And then I'm going to say why I love this idea. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, there is this idea of price discrimination that um, individual people, you know, individual customers shouldn't be have to pay for services they're not going to use. Instead, if you are only going to, you know, show up with one light bag that you can throw under your seat, you should pay for a ticket that only covers the cost of, you know, transporting you through the air in a metal bird with that one light bag. And if you're going to show up with a huge, you know, you know, four suitcases or whatever, and you need to check those, then you should pay for that because you personally are adding costs to the flight by making it heavier and making them take up more fuel. Okay, that, you know, that, so it's more consumer choice and that makes it possible for people who might ordinarily not be able to afford to fly if everyone was sharing these costs together to get on a plane. That's the economic rationale for this sort of thing. However, when you my thing that pisses me off is when you get to the point where you're saying you have to essentially pay for any bag you want to bring on the plane uh, or any you know significant piece of luggage. That means that anybody who's older, who has kids, who is you know injured, is essentially going to be paying extra because there's no way they're going to be able to carry all their stuff in a little like tiny backpack. Um, and so that's what bothers me is this is really charging families and sick people more money. And that's how I got into the Republican healthcare. So side. so yeah, the, <laughs> the the slogan from the greatest film ever made with Nell and I is free to those who can afford it very expensive for those who can't and it's exactly it's basically the people who are wandering who are sauntering I like this idea of sauntering the people who are sauntering onto a plane with nothing but a briefcase are precisely the people who can afford the expensive tickets and the people who have all of the baggage and the kids and everything are the people who can't. Okay. And now I'm going to make the argument for this. Okay. Um, and the argument for this, and I, I agree with everything you just said. Okay. But, but the argument for this is that it is re- essentially, especially in the age of like the paid for the check-in luggage, it is insane when you get to the gate, how many people have these sort of maximally sized like roll on baggage um, that they're all trying to get they're all trying to get first onto the plane and then everyone pays like or signs up for membership or something like that so that they can be one of the people that gets on first it's an incredible it's it's what's known as a suboptimal equilibrium i, I am I, I, that, I, I am that guy with the giant bag oh my god so, i know so, you are so, so let me explain what happened here because it's fascinating is that a few years ago the airline started charging for check baggage, and they did this as a way of making extra fee income, which was good for them because they made more money. But they did it wrong, and they st- they allowed carry-ons to remain free, and they started charging twenty five dollars or however much it is per bag for the check bags, and so that gave everyone this incentive to stuff as much as they could into a carry-on and to not check bags. What they should have done is make the carry-ons an extra twenty five dollar free fee, and then make check bags free. And that would have solved the problem. And I believe Spirit Airlines does that, and it makes much more sense. It uh, it makes much more sense for the passengers who want to just get walk onto the plane. It's impossible to walk onto the plane. And 75% of people are somehow pre-boarding. <laughs> and it's crazy, right? On oh, the and other that's hand, the other thing. The, the, it also created the, um, the race to get onto the plane first. Yes. Like, when I was first 
traveling on airplanes. I always was the guy saying, I want to get onto this plane last because I don't want to be stuck on that airplane for a minute longer than I have to be. Now everyone wants to get onto the plane first because it's the only way you can find space to put your bag. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm the person who checks in, by the way. But So I, I can... I can understand if they were or I would be less outraged if they were going the route of, OK, you are checking you're you're paying to have a carry on and you are not paying to check your bag. Like if that were what was happening, I, I would not be as infuriated as I currently am. But that's not. They're just charging for everything. Well, they, they have this. I mean, there is this tier, right, which is a bit more expensive called like economy as in not basic economy. Yeah. Which is a bit more expensive. And that means that you're paying the, the difference between basic economy and economy is the amount that you're paying to be able to bring a bag on for free yeah but the basic i mean the 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 hustle here is that their basic economy tier is really not going to cost much less if anything less than their current regular economy tickets. but that's so, but, but, the, but the regular economy tickets is going to be basic economy plus whatever 50 bucks and that 50 bucks is going to be the amount that you're paying to, to bring a bag onto the yeah you're gonna, you're, i just want to add one bucks. more layer on this or maybe okay. one and a half which is that I thought about this a lot when I was flying on my book tour, and, I, and then I realized that nobody actually cares about the uh, about the the passengers, right? They, as far as the the airlines are concerned, we're doing the 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 free work of stowing our own bags, right? If they if they let us check these things for free, they'd have to pay people to load that stuff and unload it. So they're making us do the work, and it actually totally makes sense. Um, even in terms of time, because if you think about what the bottleneck for flying is, it's not the time spent like fighting with your fellow passengers to get a space. It's actually the runway. The runway is the time is the is the bottleneck. So they're perfectly happy to like let us fight for an hour and a half in order to like load up a plane to complete capacity and then wait for another hour and a half to get off the runway. The the thing which the airlines have become incredibly good at is pricing the things that we value but never used to pay for. Yeah. So the extra legroom in the exit row or the early boarding or the aisle seat or the hot nuts or whatever it was that you <laughs> like. I've never had hot nuts myself. On an airplane? You've never joined the hot nuts club. <laughs> <laughs> but it's now... Now everything has a dollar value attached to it. And it's it's really interesting. Even, you know, it's interesting to see where those dollar values can wind up. And on, uh, you know, East Coast to West Coast flight, the marginal extra cost of an exit row, you know, can be $300 or something. And people, you're like, oh, wow. You know, that used to be luck of the draw. And now it's it's something they're auctioning off and they're making real money doing it. The last thing I want to say about this is that every time I'm on a totally crammed flight and I'm hating myself in my life, I think to myself, at least we're not like wasting extra jet fuel having empty flights anymore. We are saving the world. <laughs> not, not really, because we're still flying. But yeah. The carbon footprint of flying is probably lower than it would be if you were driving the yeah. same distance. Okay. This episode of Slate Money is brought to you by Wondery which is a podcast company, and it makes a podcast called The Best One Yet. And it is a daily podcast hosted by Nick and Jack, who serve up three of the most interesting business news stories every day and why you need to know them in just 20 minutes. Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that saved Abercrombie or which real tech acquisition is like Game of Thrones or the one financial equation that can finally solve climate change? That's the kind of stuff you find on the best one yet. So be in the know this year 
by starting your morning with the best one yet every weekday. Follow the best one yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. And for more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts with shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more. Wondery means business. So talking of pricing air flight, there's the most famous airplane in the world. Mm. Air Force One is this top secret, amazing flying command center but it's showing its age, and there's talk about replacing it at some point, and this will take a long time. It'll take like 10 years. And so the process is just beginning, and Boeing is involved in that process. The current Air Force One is a very customized Boeing aircraft. And what happened this week, but the president-elect threw a massive spanner into the works by coming out with this tweet saying, this is ridiculous, Fair Force One is far too expensive, it's going to cost $4 billion, and I'm going to get on the blower with Boeing and get them to... Just to cancel the, the order. Cancel, cancel the order. Cancel the order. Cancel the, this is his, like, you know, negotiating strategy. Like, cancel the order, and then if they want it, they're going to have to really cut their price. It, means it sounds so much more reasonable when you say it than when Trump tweets it. Sorry. <laughs> is it... <laughs> I don't know if it does. It totally. I don't know if it does. Sorry, I'm already near tears just thinking about this. Let's continue. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, Jordan, why why is this a bad or silly thing for the president-elect to do? I mean, didn't Barack Obama cancel the Marine One order when he came into office? Yes. Okay. So, number one, I, I would like to stipulate that I am not an expert on the exact cost of building a flying fortress like Air Force One. I do not know all the details of exactly where they might be able to shave off a few dollars from from building a thing that, you know, building a plane that can survive a nuclear blast. Whoa, is that really true? Yeah, that's that's literally what it's designed to do. It's like if there is a nuke attack, somehow the plane is going to keep flying. It can survive an EMP blast and keep stay up in the air. Um so I, I do not know exactly how much it costs to build this mo- miracle of modern aviation and uh, national security technology. Um, the $4 billion cost is two of them. However, one thing to keep in mind is that Trump tweeted this r- like minutes after Boeing's CEO had gotten on the air and criticized him on his trade stance. So some of this is just pure vindictive or it, it looks an awful like pure vindictiveness actually i mean uh, much more than some because the four billion dollar number that as far as i can make out only exists in a single trump tweet um yes was just pulled out of thin air boeing responded saying like we've never said that anything was going to cost four billion dollars we have a 170 million dollar contract to basically determine the scope of what this new plane should look like, and that's as far as it goes. I've seen some numbers saying that realistically, they're looking at three point something billion dollars for a you know for the for actually producing these two planes. But yes, I mean it's not even set yet. So th- there's that element of it that this contract is still sort of like a, a protean thing. It's still they're still figuring out exactly what they're going to do with it. But it's that, also that's a good Leo Carey word. That one, yeah. protean. <laughs> so, I feel like I've, people should use the word protean much more. Sorry, often. I I I, I, la- I I try to keep it to monosyllable as much as possible on this show, <laughs> but I slipped there. Um, but I mean, th- there's that aspect of it, and then there's just the element here that uh, that Trump is once again trying to kind of muscle the government's contract process um, for political advantage, which is a little bit worrisome if you're worried about things like you know kleptocracy spreading in the United States. 
Well, I mean, before we get to kleptocracy, which isn't it true that Trump himself has a bunch of, you know, airplanes and helicopters? Is he like trying to get the business? Is he like actually (laughs) going to direct the business here? I I mean, that's my first guess. No, I think he he has like an old 747 with his name on it. Yeah, his his jet is is famous in private aviation circles for being particularly old and clunky and um what's the word like not really fit for use it's most <laughs> most people with private jets like private jets because of the convenience they afford um trump travels around in a whopping great big and rather antiquated 747 and 747s are not in the slightest bit convenient because the number of airports you can land them in is tiny so wherever you want to go you probably can't go there in a 747 and so Almost no one with a private jet would have such a thing. But Trump just picks the most ostentatious thing he can. It's advantage. It's only advantage is that it's big and he can paint his name in large gold lettering across. <laughs> I mean, that's that is literally so the utility. So he was looking at smaller airplanes, but he was like, the letters wouldn't be large enough. Well, uh, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know how he how he got this plane because also there was like the whole Trump Air thing, and th- there might be some convoluted story behind how he got his jet. But but the, but the reality is that you're right that the. Trump administration is all about playing favorites. So he really likes hanging out with, you know, some sexist fast food CEO and that person becomes the new secretary of labor. He really likes hanging out with that woman from the wrestling company and that and, and she McMahon. becomes the, the <laughs> head of the small business administration. He doesn't like what the CEO of Boeing says, so he's like going to start saying mean things about Boeing and sending its share price down. He does like the, what the CEO of ExxonMobil says, so he starts talking about making him Secretary of State. I'm not making this up. It's like it becomes a very Russian form of capitalism where basically the closer you are to the president and ha- the nicer you are to the president, the more goodies get dropped on you. Uh, so I had a really dispiriting conversation um, right after the carrier incident, right? And there was this whole talk about how the carrier deal where they he saved some factory jobs was actually all about government contracts. The carrier is owned by United Technologies and United Technologies did not want to lose its big defense contracts uh, or, or not, be, not be up for them in the future. And I had this theory that, in fact, there wasn't so much of a danger of a Trump administration using that lever to bully companies because government contracting is a very formal, very complicated legal process where if you lose a bid, you are allowed to bring a challenge and you can haul the government into court and say, no, we, you know, you did this incorrectly. There were all the, there was all this malfeasance involved. And so not to mention, like the the, the process for like opening it up to bids exactly. is like has to have some kind of right. amount of PR. Like people have to know about them. And one hundred percent. And so I had this this whole idea in my head that, you know, there are some institutional checks here. And to verify that idea, I went and called up a a very well-known uh, government contracts lawyer um, who I can't name. It was a background conversation just to say, you know, my am, am I right here? Am I, am, I, am I crazy? And we had some real talk. And basically he was saying, you know, there are a lot of reasons I advise my clients not to piss off the government because, in fact, if they kind of cover their tracks in the right way and they say the right things and send signals a little bit subtly... Yeah, you can kind of. There's sometimes not much a company can do if they lose out for political reasons. Yeah, I, I feel reasons. like that's the first thing that Donald Trump would be excellent at would be being incredibly subtle and in covering his tracks. Well, that's the question. Well, the question really yeah. is: can can the can Trump um, or his 
Minions. cronies. Yeah. Um, blacklist a bunch of companies. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you can, there are subtle ways that you can't like draw up a blacklist because if that makes it into court, you're in trouble. But there are ways that the message can be sent that this company might not be, you know, favored. You know, and that if, again, if it's all sort of winks and nudges and makes its way down the chain of command, it's, it can be a threat. It's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. That and this is, and this is clearly what Trump wants. He does, he has never expressed any interest in a level corporate playing field where everyone competes equally. He's always wanted to say, you know, I want to intervene. I want to play favorites. I want to do deals. I want to start naming you know, individual private citizens on Twitter and getting my my Twitter army to go after them. He loves that power that presidents have always had but have never used because they've risen above it. Well, realistically, though, I mean, how many um, alternatives to Boeing are there? There are Air Force One. <laughs> no, I mean, there there are. There's Airbus, which there's is Airbus, a European yeah. company. So you can't have Air Force One be built by you know a a, no, a I, Euro. I'm, I I can't wait company. for the new Air Force One to be built by Bombardier. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Okay. Um, Kathy. Yes. So it's hard to build a whopping great big flying fortress. It can't be that hard to build a drone, right? Well, it's true that like every Christmas for the past five years, my three sons and husband have all asked for drones for Christmas. <laughs> That's what we do. And have they received them? We, we've we've had many a drone in our um, living room tearing apart the Christmas tree. My, my favorite <laughs> one is the one which is in the shape of the Millennium Falcon. Oh, my God. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm totally buying that after we finish here. Um, usually they have like four helicopter like rotors or whatever mm-hmm. they're called. Um, and they... Um, one of them stalls and everything falls apart. So they're very, very fragile. And they, they tend to lose their battery very quickly. That's a big problem for drones. Um, and that's exactly what has been going on for Google, who's been trying very hard since 2012 to set up a drone delivery system um, with not much luck. They've gone through three different um, leaders to an MIT professor, an aerospace engineer from New Zealand, um, and many, many broken, broken down drones. Very sad. <laughs> and Amazon has been trying the same thing, right? With not much greater success. Yeah, well, we're not sure exactly where Amazon is, but yeah, they they announced it in 2013, probably had it um, happening before then. They've been trying to deliver things in, the, in Cambridge, UK, and, and the, in the US. We're not really sure where they are. There's also a startup called Flirty, um, that last month started delivering Domino's pizza via drone um, into uh, in New Zealand. And by the way, like, am I saying New Zealand a lot? And also, like, Google's like first successful um, drone drop was in Australia. This I is like not a coincidence. I mean, yeah, it's countries where it's all sheep. Well, like, like, like literally, nobody can get hurt. Yeah, um, this is this is actually there's a reasonably large internet industry in New Zealand because it is famous as being the country where if you want to try something out. 
that's where you try it. Because if it all goes horribly wrong, no one cares. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. that the, There was a really good Wall Street Journal article, which we should link to, um, that was sort of describing all the debacles that have gone th- uh, that have happened th- for Google. Um, the issue of like helicopters which hover versus like winged drones, which are good at um, at gliding and, and they keep their battery life longer. But then how do you actually deliver something on an airplane without just throwing it at somebody? And my, my favorite issue, which apparently went on for months and months, was the long debate about... Um, does it land or not? Yeah. <laughs> no, so they actually, exactly. The helicopters are good at landing. Airplanes are not. Um, once you get to the target for your drone drop, do you just drop it or do you actually land the drone? Or if you do land the drone, people might steal the drone or step on it or do something evil to it. The dog could get it. So their, their idea was like lower it with a string. But then do you have to have the person who's accepting it there at the time that you lower it. Like, so the the whole idea of drone delivery is it makes things more convenient, but there's just like nothing more convenient. There was a whole talk about, well, because we can't really tell the difference between a front yard and a swimming pool, um, what you need to do is put out a whole like welcome mat with a QR code on it and we'll right. land it on. T- and you're like, this is not more convenient than just having the delivery guy leave a box on my doorstep. Well, if you think about it, I mean, to give them a little credit, like, it's actually really inconvenient to get mail delivered, but we've had the system in place for so long to get mail delivered that we we don't think of it as an inconvenience. It's just part of our lives. Well, so explain the inconvenience of getting mail delivered, because I have to say I don't find it that inconvenient. Oh, it's very well. If you live in New York City, it's pretty inconvenient. If you if you live in an apartment building, like which I do. Okay. Well, how does it? How does your mail get delivered, Felix? A person, a human being, comes to my building and puts the mail into my mailbox. Okay, well, I don't have a mailbox. What do you have? I have, I have just, <laughs> just like a front door. Okay. So we have like a doorman, but who only works between five and eight, or you know, midnight or something. So we have. It is actually kind of a pain to get mail delivered to my house. That's. And I think a lot of people have that problem, where they is, they don't have just a doorstep that they can literally drop things off of. Anyway, my point is we have a system in place for mail, and we'd have to develop a new system for drone mail, um, which which may or may not be actually more bulky than our current system. But right now we don't have it. So it seems very bulky. So there's like the big picture issue here that this brings up is the question of whether or not tech companies like Google can go out from, can move on from the digital world to actually making real things, right? Like, can they design drones? Can they do a self-driving car? Can they, you know, build an internet of things, stuff for your house? Um, and they're turning out not to be so great at that so far. That's So here's the thing, I and uh, you guys might not be surprised to hear me say this, but yeah. I don't think they're that great at algorithms either. So like the, the article, and this is not the only article, there are many articles that are saying, Google isn't so good at non-algorithm stuff, huh? You know, and the way they say it is like, think about atoms, not just bits. And, you know, in this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, if you don't mind, I'm going to read this one line from the Wall Street Journal article. For the first time, tech firms are crafting devices that could hurt people. No. This is not the first time. <laughs> it's just that it's much more obvious when this, when a drone, and this example they give in this article, a drone sliced the eyeball of a toddler. Yes, that is obvious. Yeah, like, that, that's not that's suboptimal. That is really, and 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 if the drone if the drone crashes, it's an obvious mistake. But I guess my feeling is like we have actually had lots of sort of externalities, if you will, like, like destruction that is hard to measure. That's happened because of algorithms. That's why I wrote my book. Um, and now we're having obvious problems with physical kind of innovations. And I think I think this is going to be a, a sort of running theme on Slate Money because the move 
from the digital world into the physical world is, is fraught with difficulty. Um, and what it does do, I think, Kathy, you're absolutely right, is it helps in a kind of retronymy kind of way to make us understand just how many difficulties we have been living with already in the software world but haven't quite been able to see. Um, Farhad Manju at the Times had a great column this week about how, like, there aren't any gadgets anymore. That we, we used to live in a world of cool gadgets, and every year there was a new cool gadget. And when was the last time there was a new cool gadget? You know, I, there was that like brief craze of hoverboards, and then they all blew up in in flames. <laughs> and so then true. and then the brief craze of hoverboards like ended. As, I'm still as looking as for hoverboards, by the way. <laughs> uh, but like, it's true. Like gadgets are hard. Um, Internet of Things is hard. I just moved into a new apartment, and I was so full of excitement about making it all so, super automated and sexy and oh my god it's hard yeah Kathy, I do want to push back on your point a little bit which is I think the difference between the problems they have with algorithms and the problems they have with their you know falling drones um, is that with the algorithms they they do accomplish their sent like their their main purpose like they do help you search pretty well you know things like that they do help match ads with your search results um, whereas the problems they're having with you know real world building their little flying devices is that it crashes it doesn't do the main thing it is supposed to do and oh, so i'm so glad you came up with this this pushback because i'm going to push back to your pushback okay did you know that if you search for who won the popular vote in the united states election the the number one answer was trump wait really yes okay did you know that if you <laughs> so if you wrote are jews and left it to autocomplete it said evil and then if you click that nine out of ten results were explanations for why jews are evil okay, well i saw this that is... but i think that was a fair question i would like someone to answer no to it so i want people to be able to search <laughs> my point i will say the results are not so they're, great they're, they're, if their goal is to connect us to good information then they are failing in that goal and we have trouble measuring the extent to which that is damaging us it's not easy to quantify a loss of knowledge Right. Yeah. It is easy to quantify broken drones. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay, I can see that. I believe the um, that Peter Thiel summed this all up with his slogan, right? Which is, "They promised us flying cars, and we got 140 characters." Yeah. Um, but we should have a numbers round. Yeah, we should. Uh, and I'm going to start the numbers round because my number is particularly stupid. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm going for stupid, like, yeah. like escapism today. We're uh, up yeah. in the air, baby. I'm, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Also, Up in the Air was an incredibly depressing movie, so I think mine is going to be in keeping with that. It was Felix, kind of hollow, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, go, Felix. So my, my number is 85, which is the number of dollars that Nordstrom is charging for, I'm going to say this exact, what it's called, medium leather-wrapped stone. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Shane tweeted this, didn't what, Shane? What? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was actually Catherine Rampell, I think, was the person who first found it. It is a three-inch by four-and-a-half-inch by two-inch Los Angeles-area stone, a stone, <laughs> from the Los Angeles area. And... It comes in a leather pouch, it, it, it says here, each piece is unique and will vary slightly because two no, no two stones are exactly the same. And then... Around this stone, about half of the stone is covered in leather. It's in a little leather pouch. So, so it's a it's a paperweight. Well, according to this, <laughs> it, it can be a paperweight. It can be a conversation piece, or wait wow. for it. It could be a work of art. Wait, how, it's up to you. Wait, Felix, how big is the stone that I'm holding? He he gave us the exact measurements. Three inch by four oh, and a half inch by two inch. <laughs> Sorry, I just... 
<laughs> How did you miss that? I don't know. It's not even a big it's stone. Very exciting. This is this is the medium stone. There's oh, also sorry. a small stone. By the way, that's not as expensive as like self tying sneakers. I mentioned last week. No, it's not. But I feel like. <laughs> The thing which which really distresses me about this is that there is a medium stone and there is a small stone, but there is no large stone. I mean, I I want someone to go to that big Michael Heitzer stone outside LACMA and like wrap that thing in leather and charge. It was in the super secret menu. <laughs> I have a I, I have two numbers, but I'm going to do the dumber one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's Just, keep let's keep things stupid. Okay, um, a, a thousand. That's yeah. the number of Russian athletes that have been um, implicated now in in cheating. Um, in doping. In doping, yeah, great. between 2011 and 2015. That was, a, that was one of the great technological breakthroughs of the past few years, actually, was the way that Russia managed to find a way to tamper with the tamper-proof lids on the urine sample cups in such a way that they could replace the tainted urine with clean urine and the... Uh, it looked like they hadn't tampered with the lids. They didn't do no it one that th- well, though. No, no, they did. They, they, no well, one ever noticed. Get they only got caught because the guy who was in charge of tampering with the tamper-proof li- lids finally came clean and admitted what he'd been doing. Amazing. So, it's always the human that fucks up the plan. I, so I, I, I want to, since my number is going to be sad, I just want to add a slightly stupid riff to this number, <laughs> which is I had, there was a kid in my high school, and we used to, he, he was notorious for trying to cheat on tests. And he semi-successfully did it regularly, but never that, not well enough that he had a really high GPA. It was like, I think he managed a B, B minus in the end. But, and we always just used to say, if this guy spent as much energy actually doing the work as he did creatively cheating, he would be such better shape. And I feel like that's just Russia, period. Like, <laughs> that's like, if Russia spent less energy, like hacking other people's elections and destabilizing foreign governments and cheating on the Olympics and like focused on just like sound macroeconomic policy, like maybe they'd be in slightly better shape. Anyway, that is my stupid riff before I get into my sad number. What's your number? My sad number is 50%, which is the percentage of uh, millennials who are basically 80s babies who are uh, likely to make more or who are making more money than their parents at the same age. Uh, there was a big new paper that came out um, basically showing that fraction has been in decline. The American dream is dying. Absolute mobility is dying. Uh, previous generations could basically count on always making more money than their parents. Unless, it's like 92% in the yeah, 1940s. In, yeah. Unless you were at the well, very top yeah. 1%, unless you were born to very, very rich parents, relatively speaking, you could almost certainly count on making more than your your family did before. Uh, and that is gradually, not quickly, fading. And I feel like I don't love this statistic because you know in the 1970s which is you know when it was 92 percent when you're you know if you're a 30 year old in the in the early 70s and you're saying am i making more money than my parents did when they were my age well my parents at my age were like fighting world war ii when they were my age yes that is true but i think and then there was the korean war like it's a lot easier to do better than your parents if your parents weren't doing very well at your age this is true but it does speak to i think you know our sense of prospects and horizons and why so many people are frustrated because even if maybe you know absolute mobility was easier back in the day it still sucks knowing that your standard of living is going to be worse than your parents standard was and what you grew up with and became used to and that i think feeds the sense of frustration and it's also i think it's angering to parents who see their children fl- uh, floundering um and it's also there, there's one other aspect to this number which is um these same researchers uh did a paper a few years ago showing that what we call relative mobility basically like where you know are do you move up and down uh the income ladder like you know do you make it to the one percent 
um, hadn't really gotten any worse over the years. Like that hadn't really changed. What we're seeing instead is this change in absolute mobility, whether or not you do better than your parents. So we're learning. Um, it used to be that the American dream, maybe it's not really dying. It was always just kind of like a myth. Now we know precisely how it's dying. <laughs> so that's that was, that's okay. we were meant to have a nice jolly riff about you know check baggage and Jordan Weissman as I started with one, my high school classmate for a reason and he went. decides to drag it all down into like the death of the American dream so on which <laughs> I still didn't even get to share my healthcare riff for the love of god anyway uh, so so on which now I will urge you to go to slate.com if you <laughs> if you really want to read the reasons why check bags are like purchase of provider organizations or whatever i don't you, you can do that but before you do that um do subscribe to slate money if you don't already and we are going to be having a live show on thursday this coming thursday december the 15th the tickets are sold out unless you manage to find lenny defranco has two tickets which he bought and which he is willing to sell you um if you can find lenny maybe you will be able to get in Otherwise, you will be able to listen to that show when it airs probably around New Year's. Um, and that's going to be fun. We are going to have a regular episode next week. Hungover, I might add. It, we're going to have a hungover. We're going to have, like, yeah, the hungover episode next week. But for the time being, all I can do is thank Zach Dynastine, the producer of the show, and the executive producers, Steve Lichtai and Andy Bowers. Check out all of Panoply's podcast at itunes.com slash panoply and we will talk to you next week on Sleep Money. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.